Before we get started, I should mention once again that we're recording this podcast in early January 2021. Parts of the park are still closed due to the Woodward Fire. There's still a ton you can do at Point Reyes National Seashore. Just be sure to check the park's website and social media to plan your trip. Thanks and happy hiking. Hey everybody, this is Jeremiah Edding with Point Reyes National Seashore. This is the second episode of our new podcast, The Natural Laboratory, and we're talking once again about wildfire. Last summer was a crazy fire season in California. There were whole days where it felt like the sun didn't come up at all. The skies just turned this weird apocalyptic orange color. People had to evacuate their homes, and many of those homes were destroyed. Through all that chaos, it can be really hard to remember that fire isn't all bad. For the ecosystems in Point Reyes National Seashore and throughout most of California, fire has its benefits. In the last episode, we learned about the Woodward Fire, which burned in the park last summer. We also explored how its more destructive predecessor, the Vision Fire, impacted the park 25 years ago. As Dr. Allison Forestell, the former fire ecologist at Point Reyes says, even hot destructive fires, like the Vision Fire, can have a silver lining, at least ecologically. I want to push back on the idea that the Vision Fire was bad and the Woodward Fire is good. The Vision Fire, it was bad from a human perspective, absolutely. And frankly, the Woodward Fire was traumatic for the community, too. But just from a purely ecological standpoint, the Vision Fire was just as ecologically beneficial as the Woodward Fire. For humans, wildfires are a threat. But for many other species, those same fires can be a vital force. In this episode of The Natural Laboratory, we say goodbye to a historic summer of fire and look forward to new growth, the plants that will rise out of the ashes of 2020. We'll explore what we can learn from the indigenous people who managed to coexist with fire for thousands of years, even using it in beneficial ways. And we take a look at what visitors to Point Reyes National Seashore can expect to see over the coming months and years. Wildflowers, new growth, a recovering landscape, we all hope for better days ahead in 2021. And at Point Reyes, it's going to be a sight to see. You're listening to The Natural Laboratory from Point Reyes National Seashore. I'm Jeremiah Edding. Fire ecology is super complicated. Dr. Forrestell is now the Chief of Natural Resources at Golden Gate National Recreation Area, but she was the fire ecologist at Point Reyes for nearly a decade. Almost all of the vegetation in California is evolved to fire in some way, and you know, in some places it's species that can tolerate some degree of fire, and in other cases the plant species actually depend on fire to, you know, persist. And even at Point Reyes, that range exists. After millennia of fires sweeping through the landscape, plants have adapted to it. They return quickly after a burn. Many, many, many species have the ability to re-sprout post-fire. So coast live oak and bay trees and coyote brush and, you know, probably most of the um, shrub species. On the opposite end of the spectrum are Douglas fir trees, which aren't very tolerant to fire. The Woodward fire burned primarily in Douglas fir forest. Those trees are pretty sensitive to fire, and it doesn't take that much heat to penetrate the bark and kill the cambium layer and thereby kill the trees. Dr. Forrestell says bishop pine are on the extreme end of being fire dependent. 
their cones only open with the heat of a flame. And other species, like blue blossom cyanothus and some manzanita species, have a seed bank that's buried in soil. Those seeds require fire or smoke to sprout. So those are, you know, the species that really, truly cannot persist without fire. If fire is absent from the landscape for too long, eventually they would blink out. And too long is a very long time, you know, more than a century, probably. And the flip side of it is then if fire were on the landscape too frequently, um, they wouldn't have time to build up the seed bank for the next generation. And there's a risk of too frequent fire with those types of species. These fire-loving species thrive after a burn. Dr. Forrestell published a study in 2011 showing that Ceanothus and bishop pine exploded back onto the landscape after the vision fire. The species expanded onto habitat that was once coastal scrub. The extent of bishop pine nearly doubled. Before the vision fire, bishop pine forests were only found on ridgetops. After vision, the bishop pine forest community extended down those ridges all the way to the coast. At some point, after reading so much about the fire that started on Mount Vision in the park, and pouring through all of the studies about the fire's impact on the park's natural resources, I decided I should head up there and take a look at it myself. This is it. The infamous Mount Vision. There's a narrow, unmarked trail that leads from a small parking area uh, near the summit of Mount Vision. Actually, it's really more of a hill. Uh, It's an easy walk, but I did explore some shrubby offshoot trails here and there. There were a ton of crowded bishop pines up there. That's not surprising. Like Dr. Forrestal said, these trees depend on fire. When bishop pine forests burn, they burn completely. Then they grow back into a crowded forest. Over time, the forest will self-thin as weaker trees die and those with better genetics, or the seeds that just happen to sprout in a better spot, grow to be more mature. But what struck me wasn't just that it was so dense. It's that bishop pine just looks like a tree that would burn. The trees on Mount Vision looked especially rough. Most of the living trees were scraggly, but there were also a lot of standing dead trees. These trees weren't burned in the recent Woodward fire. So I wondered if there was something else going on. The conditions you see on the landscape now are the result of two factors. One is that the bishop pine regenerated with extremely high density following fire. But then there's another layer on top of it of pine pitch canker, which is a fungal pathogen. It's not native to this region. It spread into the post-vision fire bishop pine forest, and it's really having a huge impact on those trees. So there's a lot of dead trees and fuels because of that pathogen. Pine pitch canker is yet another curveball thrown into the mix. The fungus is known to infect the bark of certain trees, including bishop pine. It leaves behind lesions called cankers that ooze with pitch. It might just kill off some needles, making the tree look sickly, but eventually, with enough of those lesions, it will kill the entire tree. Before the vision fire, the forest would have been a stand of mature bishop pine trees. So the conditions on Mount Vision today are actually quite a bit different than they were 25 years ago. Even this scraggly forest of sick trees would eventually self-thin, perhaps leaving behind more robust bishop pines. There's some promising research that shows some bishop pine can become more resistant to pine pitch canker as they mature. But in the meantime, the overcrowded trees make this immature stand of bishop pine volatile. With such a dense and combustible source of fuel, I wondered how the forest ever reaches maturity without burning up along the way. But fires started by lightning are not that common along the coast, 
especially compared with the rest of California. So that um, lightning event that started the Woodward fire was like exceedingly unusual. We don't really have lightning very often on the coast, except in the winter rarely, but usually it would be during a wet rainstorm event where it wouldn't start a fire. There was a study that showed the fire history in Point Reyes using fire scars on big old redwood trees and Douglas fir trees. The scientists found that over the last 300 years, there was an average of 2 to 12 fires per year. That's a lot more fires than there are lightning storms, which only leaves one explanation. The same reason that a lot of fires start. Humans. You know, when Native Americans were managing the lands of Point Reyes, when the Miwok were managing those lands, they would have been using fire very often. So there would have been, you know, every year fires burning within parts of the coast. The indigenous people that inhabited the land at Point Reyes for thousands of years before European settlers, they had it figured out. They cleared away the understory so it was easier to hunt. They knew where to burn and how often to support harvests of important food sources like acorns. And they used it to maintain other stands of plants, ones that weren't necessarily food but were useful. Today's scientists are still trying to catch up with that indigenous knowledge of fire ecology especially how it can be used for maintaining specific communities of rare and valuable plants. One of those scientists is Dr. Todd Keeler-Wolf. Before he retired last year, he was the senior vegetation ecologist at the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Now that he's retired, he's keeping busy by basically working like he's not retired. As they used to say, it's keeping me off the streets. With the Woodward fire still freshly smoldering, Dr. Keeler-Wolf was anxious to get in the park and see how it impacted rare or culturally valuable plant communities. I joined him and a group of visiting researchers to the park. The group included Brett Hall, the director of the Native Plant Program at the UC Santa Cruz Arboretum. And some of the students and contractors that work with the Arboretum. Dr. Keeler-Wolf created a way to classify vegetation habitats, a redwood forest, for instance, will have different plants growing in it than a bishop pine forest. With the classification system he created, scientists can map out areas with rare communities of plants around the state. And one of these is what we're standing in right now, the California hazelnut shrubland, widely used by Native American tribes in basketry. California hazelnuts have long, flexible stems. They grow in thickets. The leaves are round and have a toothy edge to them and are velvety to the touch because of these small hairs. They're not uncommon to see here and there along a hike through a forested area in Point Reyes. And in fact, despite their name, they aren't only in California. You can find them all the way up to British Columbia. But Dr. Keeler-Wolf says that it's rare to find a big patch of them, like the one we were standing in. Or at least what was left of the one we were standing in. Okay, so we're going to lay out this plot. <laughs> All right, so give me a flag, any flag, and I'll go with everybody. Flag, any flag, okay. Should I put a point? Yeah. Yeah, this will be my this nice central location. So what we're measuring today is how much hazelnut got affected by this burn. There's a, a mark of a pretty high severity, local high severity spot. All the roots have burned out. All the ash is whitish and gray. And yet, if you go just a few feet, there is not much of a fire at all, and not enough to clear out the understory. The group of researchers I was spending the day with want to know how fire impacts these plants. This was just one of their plots. At each plot, they measure the burn severity and what remains of the plants that were there before the fire. Then they hope scientists, 
like themselves or others, will revisit the plots at regular intervals in the future to see how the plants regenerate. Dr. Keeler-Wolf says there's evidence that the coastal tribes would use fire to enrich and strengthen hazel. So re-sprouting straight hazelnut stems are the ideal basketry tool. And when they're burned, those new re-sprouts are particularly straight. They get more and more crooked with time and age. I, I think what we're trying to tell anybody who's listening is what, what happened after this fire? What kind of fire does it take to maintain this rare natural plant community? And what kind of fire does it take to make a useful natural resource for traditional Native American uses. Hazel isn't the only plant community they're looking at in Point Reyes either. Dr. Keeler-Wolf says that the coastal prairie has also suffered without regular fire on the landscape. That's another place that has been sort of in the past managed by natural or native burning techniques uh, prior to European colonization. As and those coastal prairies have winked out up and down the state for a number of reasons, one of which is they've gotten invaded by shrubs because they aren't getting burned. Like Dr. Forrestel said earlier, fire is an important way to keep these ecosystems thriving. These rare plant communities depend on it. So having a fire come through at regular intervals is an important part of maintaining biodiversity. And for conservationists, biodiversity is the name of the game. The more plants and animals that are thriving in a place, the better an ecosystem can bounce back from disturbances like fire. But even though fire can be a force for maintaining biodiversity, there's a balance. Even for the most fire-adapted ecosystems, too many intense fires can be a bad thing. They could be threatened by high severity and high frequency. In other words, if it keeps reburning every 10 years for 50 years in a row, so you have five burns, it's going to exhaust a lot of the underground root carbohydrate storage that these guys have, and so they won't be able to come back. One fear is that because fuel has built up on the landscape in California, the character of natural fire is changing. Too frequent, too severe, too intense. And that's disrupting the ecosystem, causing the communities of plants to change. This whole notion of these strange mega lightning storms there's been a few of them now in the last couple of decades, and four and a half million acres in one year in one state is a lot of acres to burn, and if that happens more frequently, it's, you're sure as heck going to get a shift in some of the vegetation types. But these ecosystems are also resilient. In my treks into the burned area alongside the scientists studying the impacts of the Woodward Fire, we all saw it. Bright green growth, new ferns, sprouting evergreen huckleberry out of charred stumps. It's been three months since it was burned, almost to the day. And that's 35 to 40 centimeters long sprouts. Yeah. Pretty good re-sprouting. What's the common name? Uh, black huckleberry. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a champion. Yeah, in the fire. Dr. Keeler-Wolf finds that ability to rebound promising. There's a lot of resilience in, in a lot of these plants. You look at redwoods in California, these redwoods have been in California for millions of years, and they used to be, you know, where Point Barrow, Alaska is now, you know, of course, back in, you know, the late Cretaceous. And so resilience is in our favor because we've got such a variable landscape. In the coming months, visitors to Point Reyes will get to see some of that resilience on full display.
think there's a good chance if we get decent winter rains this year that there could be a really nice wildflower display coming just this this spring, which would be really cool. Um, and then I think in the coming years, you know, we'll see some dead Douglas fir trees. We'll probably see more ceanothus out there than we did before. Um, it'll probably push the balance a little bit more towards grasslands in some places that were grassland scrub mix um, and maybe a little bishop pine expansion. It's been a hard year. As we move into the early days of 2021, we're all looking for a reset, for new growth. Rest assured, the ecosystems in Point Reyes are pushing forward just like the rest of us, more resilient than they seem. Greener days are soon to come. Thanks for listening to The Natural Laboratory from Point Reyes National Seashore. This episode was created by me, Jeremiah Edding. As always, a huge thank you to Point Reyes National Seashore Association and the National Park Service for their support, and all the researchers who gave me their time so I could create this episode. This is the second in a three-part series about wildfire at Point Reyes National Seashore, so stay tuned for the third episode where we will look at how wildlife is impacted. I'm Jeremiah Edding, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.